0: Uh, good morning, church. It's so gl- uh, good to be gathered here, and I am honored to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning. Uh, the title of my message is Discerning the Will of God. I think at some level, at some point in all of our lives, whether you've done it in the past or you're going to do it in the future, uh, we are all at some point going to try to discern the will of God for our life, right? Right? And my hope is that today, uh, today's message will be one that encourages you and that will help you uh, find God's will when you're looking for it, when you're trying to discern his will. Uh, I would like to start off by uh, just praying uh, with you a, a short prayer from the Psalm, uh, uh, Psalms 19. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, as we seek your spirit to guide and teach us this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit uh, teach and instruct us. Lord, I pray, as you say in Psalm 19, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so this morning... This morning's passage is one that may on the surface, I don't know if you tracked with all that, there's a lot of verses there, right? Uh, it may on the surface seem odd, uh, boring, uh, maybe even unimportant, uh, but I want you to know that today I believe that there's some really important theological understandings and ideas that we can use in our daily life that come from Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 26. Um, today, Again, like, today's, like I said, today's message is titled, Discerning. The will of God. Uh, The word discernment is not one that we use very often, right? It's it's kind of a churchy word, uh, but really what discernment means is simply to uh, be able to uh, judge well. It's the ability to judge well. And in regards to today's message, my hope is that you will leave today, uh, and my hope is that I'll give you some tips for you to leave today that will increase your ability to judge well the will of God in your life. So the passage kind of starts off this morning uh, by saying this verse uh, 13 or verse 12. I'd love for you to follow me along in your notes, Uh, those are in your bulletin. It says this: it says, uh, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, many of you know that uh, I attended Olivet uh, University and you may be asking, uh, is the place that the disciples were traveling to, to, or traveling from to meet Jesus uh, here in this patch is the same place that I went to school? And the answer is yes. Uh, all of the Lord's true disciples go to Olivet at some point. And so um, the, the disciples were coming from the Mount of Olivet and, and I went to Olivet and, you know, if you're a true disciple of the Lord, you'll go to Olivet as well. Just kidding, but for real. Anyways, um, so uh, the, the reason that the disciples were uh, returning to Jerusalem from all of it is because Jesus told them to do that before he ascended to heaven. He said, go back to Jerusalem. So my first tip, my first tip in discerning the will of God for your life is to start by being obedient in what you know you're supposed to do. Being obedient in what you know you're supposed to do. This is a huge point, and for some of you, this may be where uh, you stop this morning. It may be all that you need to know. Uh, You can't expect God to give you some specific revelation about your life if you're not obedient in the general revelation that he has given all of us. You want to know the will of God for your life? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You, you want to know the, the will of God for your life? Uh, spend time with him in, in, in his word. Spend time with him through prayer. If you are obedient in the daily things, the general things, the basic things, then I think maybe then God will show up in a specific way and give you a specific revelation. Uh, verse 13, we continue on. says this, and, then, or, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter, and John, and James, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. That's a lot of names. If you count them all, there's only 11. There's only 11 names listed here, Uh, and the Judas that is mentioned here is not Judas of Iscariot, We're going to talk about him a little bit later in the passage. This is a different Judas, and uh, so we'll continue on. Verse 14 says, all of these were, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So you want to know the will of God for your own life. These people wanted to know the will of God for their life, and what did they decide to do? They decided to devote themselves to prayer. Now, devoting yourself to prayer is not to be confused with praying for your meal when it's convenient. Uh, Devoting yourself in prayer is not to be confused with saying your prayers while you're laying in bed half asleep. That is not being devoted in prayer. In our lives, uh, we're devoted to all kinds of things. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, we are, right? Uh, Just, I want you to participate with me here real quick, all right? So, just raise your hand nice and high. Uh, if, you, if you've been devoted in this way, anybody in here ever watched a TV show uh, from beginning to end? Just raise your hand nice and high. Now, I'm not saying in one sitting, but at some point you've seen every episode. Okay, there's pretty much everybody. Uh, what about uh, sports fans in here? Anybody in here uh, watched an entire team's regular season games? Like your, your favorite team, like the Bears, I watched all 13 regular season games or 14 or whatever. Yeah, they, we're devoted to some things, aren't we? Right? We are. We, we are devoted to certain things, and if you want to know and discern the will of God in your life, you are going to have to be devoted to prayer. Right. You're going to have to be devoted to prayer. Uh, we can invest, I mean, a lot of shows these days, they're an hour long, right? And then there's 600 episodes, and we watch all 600. And after the 600, we're like, man, I wish there was 601, right? <laughs> but we can't spend five minutes in prayer. We can't can't do it, but we'll sit and we'll binge watch Netflix an entire Saturday, 6 a.m. to 12 p.m., just going for it. we got to be devoted in prayer. So I ask you this morning, are you devoted in your prayer life? Are you devoted in your prayer life? If I'm honest, I've gone back and forth with consistency. You know, I, I would say for me, probably not as much as I should be. Have you ever noticed uh, in your life that sometimes you get devoted to prayer when things get really sketchy, things get really shaky, uh, like these people in this, in this passage, right? Uh, things kind of got a little tight here, right? Uh, the, the man that they'd been following for three-plus years, that they have been living life with, well, he dies and ascends to heaven, and while he's ascending, he says, hey, guys, uh, it's all up to you now. If I were to put myself in their shoes, I would have been like, I would have been gathering the gang together, man, me, oh, yo, yo, hey, come on, come on, come on. Time to get our prey on. Like, this dude, he just went to heaven. Like, we got to go. Like, uh, we got to do something. Are you devoted in prayer in that same way? Do you feel that urgency? If we're going to know the will of God, we have got to be devoted to prayer. Do you think that it is a good game plan for you, if you're trying to discern the will of God, uh, for you to... kind of haphazardly never really spend time in God's word don't really uh, have a relationship with him and through prayer but then all of a sudden you want God to give you some highly specific highly contextualized answer to a big question or decision that you have to make in your life that didn't sound like a good game plan that didn't sound like it's going to really work and I'd have to say that uh, you know uh, the decisions that you make in your life they have a ripple effect on other people did you know that the decisions you make, they, they affect other people. And you know, I'm feeling the weight of that more and more now that I've become a new dad. Uh, Judah's just over five weeks old today and uh, been blessed by him. But man, I want you to know that now that I'm a dad, I just feel the weight of my decisions. I feel the weight of of, of my life and I, I want you to know that you know I feel like if I miss the will of God for my own life and I'm not being devoted in prayer and I'm not taking my, my spiritual life serious and I'm not being obedient in the general things that God's already revealed to me I just feel like man the the outcome for the people that are in my life could be disastrous. So parents, grandparents, husbands, wives, There's a lot of people in your sphere of influence that your decisions impact. Many of them you tuck into bed at night. Be devoted in your prayer life. Brothers, sisters, teenagers, even children. The truth is, is that you impact your siblings. You impact your siblings, you impact your parents. So I don't want you to underestimate your influence and I want you to commit to being serious in your prayer life because in truthfulness, Uh, comparatively, you have the most life ahead of you. And you have probably all the big decisions of your life still ahead. And you're going to have to discern the will of God for your life to make these big choices. So it is absolutely critical, teenagers, children, brothers and sisters, that you take this time to be devoted in prayer. Moving on, verse 14 says this, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Um, oh, so sorry, I'm, 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 I messed that up. Uh, uh, what we see here is that the men and women understand now that they are in a bit of a tight spot, they need to start praying. Um, you, have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever thought about how maybe the Lord allows you to go through certain things because they draw you closer to him? That really he knows that in those tight spots are really the only times that you're devoted to him in prayer. That maybe the question that you need to be answering is not what do I do next, but instead, who do I need to be near? Who should I draw near to? maybe when you're in trouble uh, is the only time that you draw near to the Lord. And maybe the thing that you're praying about, I know this might mess you up, but maybe the thing that you're praying about, the Lord knows that as soon as you get your answer, the answer that you want, you're gonna, you're gonna stop being devoted from, to him. So why would the Lord give you something that he knows is gonna pull you away from him and not draw you near to him? You, you know the Lord cares about one thing in your life. One thing. It is not your health. It is not your wealth. It is not your happiness. He doesn't really care about your friends or your family. Although he does, what he cares about most in your life, individually, is your heart. He cares about your heart, and he is constantly, actively pursuing your heart. And he will do anything to get to your heart. Health, wealth, those might go down the drain. But he is pursuing your heart. What good is it for you to gain the whole world but lose your soul? What good is it for you to live a happy, healthy, wealthy life and spend eternity in hell? What good is that? God is pursuing you. So maybe the thing that's really bothering you, it's freaking you out right now, the thing that's really pushing in on you, making you feel unstable and shaky, and, and the thing that's stressing you, that's forcing you to pray, maybe that is actually God's grace and God's compassion on your life and not a curse. See, I'll tell you, in this three-year journey of adoption, I thought for the longest time, curse, curse, curse. But really, God was drawing me nearer, saying, "There's things I need to show you about yourself. You're a really selfish dude." That has become very apparent. Um, <laughs> he needed to—he—he—he he, he needed to show me some things. He needed to reveal some sin in my life. He needed to expose some things in my heart. And this thing that I thought was a curse was God's grace and compassion in my life. And now I have a tangible form I get to hold at night, at five in the morning when he's screaming. <laughs> love you, son. Um, <laughs> I get to see God's love and compassion. A little sub-point here that I wanna talk about is this. Being devoted in prayer always leads to unity. Being devoted in prayer always leads to unity. It says that they were of one accord. Being devoted in prayer I want you to know that prayer always leads to unity between you and God. It always leads to unity between you and your family. It always leads to unity between you and your spouse, between you and the church family. Prayer always leads to unity even in the capital C, big church. So my hope for our church overall is that in the days ahead, we put an even greater emphasis on being devoted in prayer, on being of one accord devoted in prayer. Now, I'm not saying that I don't believe that or I don't think that our church prays, but I do think that this is something that we can emphasize to a greater degree. I would love to see us gathering each week before services to pray for God to move. Wouldn't it be awesome? You walk into service and there's this, this whole sanctuary, the foyer is filled with groups of people praying for God to show up, praying for God to move in a, in, a, in a new way. I would love to see new prayer groups start up during the week that are solely meeting or meeting to just be devoted in prayer we have some big changes coming up at church, don't you think? Some really big decisions that we're going to have to make uh, as we search for a new pastor. Don't you think that it's time that we get serious about being devoted in prayer? Don't you want to know the will of God? Don't you want to discern his will moving forward? Let us be a praying church, PFN. Let us be a praying church. Now, I want to be clear about this. We can make good decisions. We can make great decisions here at PFN. We can have awesome people leading. We can have talent up here on stage during worship. We can even have amazing theology and perfect doctrine. But if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit leading us, if we are not, if we're not just basking in the manifest presence of God, if we're not seeking his face, if we're not, if we're not doing and and desiring his power and his leading in our lives, then we're just a rotary club. We're just the Boy Scouts without a tent the Girl Scouts without the cookies. For real. It is us, we have got to seek the power and the Holy Spirit of God to to lead us, to guide us, to give us discernment in what it is for us to do next. The The power of the Holy Spirit that is found in devotion to prayer to Him leads to unity. So we need to do this. We need to move For let us seek God, let us seek his leading, let us seek unity. All right, i got to move on, or we're going to be here for a week. Okay, verse uh, 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of uh, persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Okay, now we're moving into some interesting theological territory, okay? Uh, The first thing that I would like to mention here is that in verse 16, Peter clearly says that he believes uh, what he believes about the written scripture. And what he believes is that the scripture was not merely written by some really smart religious person, but that the scripture is divinely inspired, that it is written by by the Holy Spirit, written by God for God's people. And I want you to know that here at PFM, we believe that same thing. We believe in, the, we believe in the, the divinity of Scripture. We believe in the power of the Scripture. We believe that the Scripture is true from cover to cover. There's no Scriptures that we don't take serious or that we don't believe in. And it is uh, it, here at PFN, the Bible is our authority. It is our instruction, and it is our uh, guide to life. It helps us as we navigate how to live life that's honoring to God and honoring to people. The next thing I want to talk about is, is this idea um, that here it says that Peter was saying that Judas had to betray Jesus as a fulfillment to Scripture that was written many, many, many years earlier. So this really leads us to have to dig into some theological ideas. Uh, Maybe you weren't expecting that this morning, but we're going to go there. Uh, We have to talk about really the sovereignty of God. It says here that, you know, Peter says that Judas was kind of forced to betray Jesus so that the Scriptures could be fulfilled. Uh, sovereignty. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Sovereignty is really another big church word, kind of like discernment, but it, it, it's it's not used very often. But when I'm talking about discernment, what I'm really talking about often here is uh, just uh, God's power, His ultimate power and His ultimate authority. That's what sovereignty is. We believe that God is all powerful and He has all the authority. That's so. That's what we're saying when, when God has uh, His. When talking about His sovereignty. So this verse uh, verse forces us to look at this in a deeper way, in a deeper way. Uh, There is no way around it. We look at this incident with Judas betraying Jesus and Peter saying that, well, Jesus had to do this to fulfill prophecy and things get a little messy. I I think the next logical question, if you're following this logically, is to ask this, um, did Judas have a choice? Where's the free will in that? If There's prophecy about this. Judas had to had to betray Jesus. Then, did Judas have any choice in the matter? Is there any free will there? And if God is sovereign over all things, uh, and He had to betray Him, what does that leave us with? Practically, maybe you've thought about this before in your own life. Maybe you've been praying about the will of God in your life, and you've been praying about what is it that God wants me to do, or what does He want me to do next? And uh, maybe you've asked a question like this: Well, if God's in charge of all things, and he's over all things, and he's in all things, and he has the whole world in his hand, why am I praying? What's the point of that? Uh, does God already have everything predetermined? Are the outcomes already just decided, and I, and I have no, no choice in the matter? Why, why would I be devoted in prayer? That's is tough, right? So when you are praying and seeking God's will for your life, uh, maybe uh, you've, you've wondered, what does it mean to be in God's will. Have you ever heard somebody talk about, I, want to, I just want to be in God's will. I just want to do what God wants. Anybody ever heard that before? Maybe you said that before you're in your own life. Uh, have you ever, raise your hand if you've heard this before. I just want to be in the center of God's will. Anybody ever heard that before? Well, I guess my question to, up to that is, uh, can you be on the periphery of God's will? Like bottom left-hand corner of God's will? Uh, like what does that mean exactly? And, and, and kind of thinking about, God's will, does God's will kind of run like a train track? You know, like two parallel lines? And that you're just trying to follow along with God's will. But you know, if you get off just one degree, especially like early on, you know what happens? Like way down the road, you're like way far apart. You know what I mean? So like, what if you miss God's will for you when you're in the fourth grade? Are you just done? Like I just, I, you know, I just wasn't in the center of God's will when I was like 11 and a half. And so now I'm just wrecked. Is that how God's will works? Can you get back on track? Or maybe, maybe God's will is like a, a game of bags, where you're trying to make decisions. These are all decisions I'm trying to make, and so you just kind of toss them. Like, well, I hope this is good. Oh, well, that's close, see? Oh, and I'm t- I hope, uh, oh, I missed the bag board completely. God, I'm trying, though. I'm trying to make the right decision, you know, and you just keep tossing these bags or just making these decisions, but you hope that, you know, eventually, you make one in the hole. And then when you make it, are you like, oh, yes, yeah, see, I got that one right but I've kind of been doing the same thing all the time. How do I know how to make decisions if I'm just constantly just throwing the same way over and over, making the same decisions the same way over and over? How do I stay in the center of God's will? How do I know what God's will is for me? Well, I'm gonna leave this right here. We're gonna come back to this. So track with me. Verse. 17, it says, For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. He's, this is reference to Judas as scariot. Verse 18 Now this man acquired a field with his reward for his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. You don't see that verse printed on a Hobby Lobby sign very often, do you? <laughs> Can you imagine walking into somebody's house, and you walk in, and right in the entryway, it says, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. If I read that walking into somebody's entryway, like, I'm turning around. I'm like, I'm out of here. Like, this other the devil. Like, who's this person worshiping? Like, I ain't out of here. Like, that is, I mean, I've petitioned to Hobby Lobby to try to get them to put it on a sign, but they decided no. Um, Just kidding. All right, got to move on. Okay, verse 19. And it became known to all the inhabitants of, inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language al Qadamah, which is the field of blood. Now, if you're trying to pronounce Greek words and you don't know them or Hebrew words and you don't know them, my advice is just to speak them fast and with confidence. So it, no one knows, right? And if somebody tries to correct you in like Bible study or something and they say, well, it's pronounced this way. Well, you just say, you know where I'm from. My accent says this, you know. My Colorado accent just says Alcadama, so that's what it is, right? Uh, don't worry about it. So what is happening here? Well, actually, what we're going to see in the next couple of verses is that actually Peter is quoting from Psalm 109, verse 8. And he's explaining again that Judas betrayed Jesus because he had to. Verse 20, it says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So here Peter's saying, hey, in Psalms, it talks about Judas betraying Jesus and that we're gonna have to replace him. Someone else is gonna have to take this office. Um, So Peter's saying, before we go out and, and share the gospel, which is what Jesus has commanded us to do, right? He ascended to heaven. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Before we do that, we need to replace Judas. This is precisely where discerning the will of God is challenging, but I also think we as a church, can really relate. I've read the Bible a lot, and I have never, ever read anywhere in the scripture where it talks about the process and procedures for replacing a disciple. You ever read it? Uh, There's no no step-by-step, here's what you need to do to replace a disciple. You gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And so there's no instructions. There was no Google. There was definitely no YouTube. And so the disciples are trying to figure out what to do, they're trying to discern the will of God without any specific instructions. You ever had to make a decision and you're like, man, there's no specific instructions about what I should do here. Should I change jobs? Should I move? What should I do here? I feel like the disciples were going through this exact thing. I think we can really relate there. Um, So when there's no instructions, you're left with this question. How do I know and do the will of God? I'm guessing that uh, some of you uh, here today are in that exact position. You're wondering, how do I know and do the will of God? Uh, Without instructions, you could ask God for a burning bush experience. You could ask him that you know, in the morning, Lord, I wanna know what I need to do, so if I could just walk out of my front door and on my porch, right below my porch is a bush, if you could just let that on fire, if you could just be in that bush and you could talk to me through the burning bush without setting my house ablaze and burning it to the ground, I'd really appreciate it. But my guess is that that's not gonna happen in your life. Uh, You could be like Moses, but I doubt it. So what are you gonna do? Uh, I think my next tip is this. My next tip in discerning the will of God for your life is to remember and to remind yourself that it is God's will, not your own. We can get this mixed, mixed, uh, mixed up pretty quick. At this point in the process, if we are struggling and we're not getting the answer that we want in the timing that we want, we can forget this truth and we can start inserting our own will into the situation. And we can forget that it's God's will and not mine. One of uh, the most, I guess, quoted favorite verses of Christians is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It's my parents' like life verse for our family, um, and I'm sure it's probably yours as well. Uh, and, and Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. However, we rush over the first part that says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Notice it doesn't say declares Josh. And so if I were to reread this in the way that our hearts tend to interpret it, it would sound more like this. For, I know the, plans I have for the Lord. Plans to prosper you. <laughs> plans to, to not harm you and to give you a hope and a great, great future. That's how we read that verse. The first part, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, we like the prosper part. Lord, where's my Ferrari? All right, that's what we want. When things get hard, when decisions are not coming, when, we're, when, when God is not moving in our timing and he's not giving us answers in the, the way that we want and the timing that we want, it's really easy for us to take God out of the equation and insert ourselves into it. Well, I'm just gonna do what I want then. God, if you're not talking to me, then I'll just do what I want. Um, does God have plans for your life? Yes, absolutely. He, uh, does he know what they are? Of course. Do you know what they are? And do you know when and how he's going to reveal them to you? Me either. So, uh, for me in my own life, typically what God does is that he just gives me a little bit of revelation at a time. Just enough... Just enough information to help me move forward and take that next step. To just move out in faith a little more and a little more. I think it's natural for you, for me, to want to see the whole scope and sequence of, of, of all God's plans for our life. What we'd like God to do is just lay every plan that he has for our entire life out on the table that we can, you know, we can see it all and we can like comment back to God, well, are you sure that's my plan? Are you sure that's right for me? You know, we would love to see the whole thing. And I think many of us in our head, maybe we don't say this out loud, but we think in our hearts this, see, God, if you would just show me everything, if you just be clear, I would obey. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's just just not truth. It's not what the scripture says. Um, Think about what Cheryl preached about a few weeks ago, the Israelites. They were following a pillar of fire. They woke up every morning and there was food on the ground. Yet the second that Moses leaves to get the Ten Commandments, they construct an idol, they start worshiping a cow. The Pharisees, the disciples, they clearly saw the power of Jesus. They clearly saw the workings of Jesus. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. He starts walking on the water. He gets rescued by Jesus who's walking on the water. A few chapters later, He's denying even knowing Jesus. We just we just say, well, God, if you just be clear, if you just show your power, if you just make it clear to me, well, I just I would just obey, and I would say the scriptures don't back that up at all. The scriptures say actually you need to walk by faith, not by sight, and that God typically just reveals His plan for your life a little at a time. Verse twenty one. So one of the men, who uh, who have accompanied us. During all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barabbas, who was also called, called Justice, and Matthias. First off, if you're a guy and you have three separate names, you're sketchy. So uh, that's the first problem, all right? Um, so what we see here is uh, they're working on replacing Judas. And they've got two, two different guys here. They've got uh, one guy who has three different names, but we're just going to call him Joseph. And there's also Matthias. And what we see here is that these guys, the, the disciples, the, the group, they have done their due diligence. They have set criteria for how they're going to choose the next disciple, Right? They've given they they laid it all out. In 21 to 23, they said, you know, this man has got to have accompanied us with the Lord Jesus. He had to have been there since the baptism of John. There's all these things that this person had to have met. So some random person couldn't have just applied to be the disciple. There was criteria to meet. And then what you also see is that they had kind of narrowed things down to to two guys. So what we see here And my my next tip for you, tip four, in discerning the will of God for your life, is that you need to do your due diligence. You need to do your due diligence. I grew up in in the church that was connected to the Nazarene Bible College in Colorado Springs. And, And back when I was growing up, there were many adults who would come to the Bible college uh, to get educated. Back then, uh, the Bible college was really structured to try to help people that felt called to ministry later on in life, when they you know, were married, maybe had kids, and so they would come to Colorado Springs, and they would attend Bible college, and typically, they would go to our church, because our church was connected with the Bible college. Um, and I cannot tell you how many people and families that I saw come out and attend the Bible college, and then, after they graduated, immediately kind of leap out in foolishness Saying that God had called them in faith to do this thing and in just a year or so were back at my church and upset with God because he didn't come through. They hadn't done their homework. They hadn't done their due diligence. They were so excited. They were so gung-ho. They just jumped out and they wanted God to kind of bless their foolishness. And then when it didn't happen, then they came back and they were begging God for the backup plan, the bailout plan. And then when he didn't give it, they got mad. And I'm here to tell you, if you do not do your due diligence in your life when it comes to discerning the will of God, God does not bless your crazy. He does not bless your crazy. Uh, You cannot jump out in foolishness and then blame God when things don't work out. Now, maybe, you know, you say, well, God's called me to leave my job or move to this different place. And maybe he has. But you need to still do your due, due diligence. It is still important for you to... Do your due diligence. I want you to know that our brains and our faith are not mutually exclusive. That when I am living in faith does not mean that I don't use my brain. It does not mean that I'm not, I don't make educated decisions. And so my, my thing for you is here, the disciples, they, they were doing their due diligence and trying to find the next disciple. They had criteria. They narrowed it down. They, there was, they were doing what they knew how to do. They were doing their due diligence in the things that you're trying to do in your life and the decisions you're trying to make, it is important for you to do your due diligence. Verse 24, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. After they did their due diligence, they have two guys, they've narrowed down, and then they prayed again. So now you may think, oh, you're contradicting yourself here, but I want you to know that um, some of you, you're on the opposite end of the due diligence part. You're a planner. You're an organizer. You're a researcher. And you love the due diligence part. That's your favorite part. The problem is you get stuck in the due diligence So you've prayed and you've done your due diligence and then you've got all this resource and then you keep collecting more resources and more information and more information and more information and then, and then you get stuck and you don't decide to do anything, You don't move forward. You can seek all the wise counsel that you can, you can read every book, you can listen to every podcast, but I want you to know that there's no replacing time with the Lord. You notice that they did their due diligence and then they went back to pray again talked about earlier they were devoted in prayer they did their due diligence then they went back to prayer if you miss this part you're probably going to get messed up the apostles here took all their information and diligence and they brought it before the lord they took what they knew and they brought it before the lord and they told the lord that this was his decision to make that he was going they were gonna go all in and put it in his court and they were gonna trust him with the outcome this is what the disciples did and they took it to the lord and prayed Verse 25, almost done here. It says this. They took it to the Lord to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. All right, let's go back to the the will of God. I talked about the train tracks. I talked about the bags board. Uh, How do we understand the will of God? What does the will of God look like? The center of God's will, the periphery of God's will. What do we really do with this here? Uh, It looked like earlier in the passage that it said that kind of Judas was predestined. He was kind of forced, that it was prophesied back in, in Psalms. And now Judas had to betray Jesus and he really had no choice in the matter. But here in verse 25, we read something different. It says this, Judas turned aside to go his own way. Judas looks like he has a major choice here and that he chose to turn aside and go to his own place. So, Pastor Josh, what is it? Was he predestined? Was, he, was it predetermined? Or does he have free will? There's clearly a tension here. Clearly. And I think that that tension is healthy and it's one that probably will never be resolved. Is God sovereign? Yes, absolutely. Is God in control? Of course. Is he Lord over all? Is there nothing that you can do to thwart the plans of God? Yes. Do you have a choice this day whom you will serve? Yes. Completely. All the way. Totally. Can you willfully disobey God? Yes. Absolutely. Can God work in all things for the good of those who love him? Yes. It is both. See, if you try to resolve this question, what you end up, is in, a, you end up in this place that the Bible's not. Uh, one issue with systematic theology is that you have to kind of label yourself and you end up in one of two camps. And the problem is with that, that in reality, both God's sovereignty and our free will are both present in the scriptures. So where should you land? I personally would say that I believe in a term that I uh, have heard a theologian talk about uh, called participatory sovereignty or participating sovereignty. And this is the place that I, I feel like holds closest to the integrity of scripture. And it says that God is absolutely sovereign, but he also allows us to participate in his will and his world participatory sovereignty says that, that we as free will beings genuinely participate in what happens and that doesn't undermine god's sovereignty but you also have to think about sovereignty a little differently because the common view of sovereignty is that everything is predetermined and when people see that they go right to thinking that everything's predestined but i would say however uh, this de- this thinking of sovereignty is different because being uh, god's foreknowledge doesn't always necessitate Predestination. God's foreknowledge doesn't always make things force to be happened. So um, we see this in several different places in Scripture. I want to talk about them. Um, I'm just going to mention them in brevity. You can look them up later. But places like 1 Samuel 23. Uh, in 1 Samuel 23, what you read is that God has foreknowledge of two things that never happen. God says they're going to happen, they never do. Uh, Or Kings chapter 20, uh, first Kings chapter 22, where God says that uh, there's this, they've come to this time where King Ahab needs to die, but then he leaves it up to free will beings for the, how that is about, you know, how that comes about, you know, Um, you also see that God's able to, uh, his mind's able to be changed by uh, Moses in Exodus, Exodus 14, God told Moses that he was going to wipe out all the Israelites because they were idolatrous. But then God, or Moses convinces God to change his mind and he relents and he doesn't wipe out the Israelites. Participatory sovereignty. Uh, when I think about the foreknowledge of God, um, uh, the truth is that what God foreknows, you don't. So when Judah is able to start walking, and I'm in the living room and I see him in the kitchen and he's walking with his finger out to a, to an, a, a socket in the, the an outlet socket. I see him and I see him walking towards the outlet and I know in my foreknowledge that he's gonna touch that outlet. Maybe get electrocuted. Don't do that son. (laughs) Does my foreknowledge of what I see Judah doing necessitate that he do that? Am I forcing him to do that? No, my foreknowledge is not, you don't know God's foreknowledge. You must choose this day whom you will serve. You don't know what God knows? And I believe that God is clear in his word that he's asked us to be co-creators, co-participants in his world. And so that's where we're at. That's where I think we need to land. Uh, There is a tension there, but I don't think it's a one or the other. I think it's a both, it's a both and. Um, So here God is making uh, the choice through the disciples' actions. What did the disciples do? Well, they, uh, they read, uh, we read what they do here uh, at the kind of final verse of Acts 1. Verse 26, it says this. And they cast lots for them, and the law fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they prayed. They were of one accord. They did the due diligence. They prayed again, and then what they do? They rolled the dice. They rolled the dice. So... We as a church, we are also looking to fill a spot in our ministry. We're not looking to replace Judas, but we are looking to, uh, to fill a spot. And so um, I thought that what we would do here uh, is that we would follow the example of the disciples um, that they left for us. You know, the disciples, they walked, talked, and ate with Jesus. And they lived as- uh, alongside the incarnational God-man, Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, these guys knew God in the flesh. They knew him in a deep and intimate way. And so I think that it's only fitting that we here today follow their example and we, uh, we roll the dice for our new, our new pastor. So I've assigned everyone a number that I think would be willing to fill the position of senior pastor here at church. And I think we're going to see right now who is going to lead the, the church. I got some dice here. And um, I've assigned some numbers, so uh, I got two dice. If we roll one through three, then Cheryl's our new pastor. Why are you guys laughing? Don't you trust the Lord? Um, Four through six is Brian. Seven through nine is me. Those are the best and most likely choices of the numbers. If you've played Catan, you know that. And then uh, 10 through 12 is preacher's choice. I'm the preacher today, so here we go. You ready? One, two, three. Seven, yes, seven. I'm happy to, uh, to take the helm of PFN this morning. I am really honored to be your next PFN pastor. Um, this is gonna be a great future for us. Um, God's got great plans. Do you not trust the Lord? He was clear. Verse 26, you wanna read it one more time? Please, can we just read this one more time? And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Josh, and he was numbered as the new pastor of PFN. <laughs> you guys don't think I'm serious. Okay, well, you know what? The truth is that you probably wouldn't hire a pool boy by casting lots, let alone pick the 12th disciple, right? Isn't that crazy? These disciples, they they rolled the dice. They... they picked the next disciple by casting lots. So what do we do with that? Uh, How do we navigate this? Uh, How did they get away with this? I'll tell you this. The reason they did this was this. They were devoted in prayer. They were of one accord. They did their due diligence. They prayed again. And the truth is they were earnestly seeking the will of the Lord. They were earnestly seeking God's face. And so they did what they knew how to do Casting lots, you see casting lots lots of times. Jesus, right, when he's on the cross, the soldiers cast lots for his garments, right? They, they did what they knew how to do, and God honored and blessed that. Now, do I think we should cast lots or roll the dice for our next PFN pastor? Clearly not. But what I do think is kind of these last two points that I want to make really quickly, just in brevity, uh, as we talk about um, uh, how do we seek the will of God? Um, I think that the next, the next tip is this, that you have got to do your best with what you know. I don't always think there's gonna be some clear answer to what it is that you should specifically in context do. But I think what the disciples did here is that they did best with what they knew how to do. I think that's what God asked us to do. Pray, do your diligence, seek wise counsel, pray again, and then do what you know how to do. Um, And then the last thing is that you need to go. In order to discern God's will for your life, the last tip is this, you just need to step out in faith and go. So this morning, if you're trying to make a big decision, don't freak out. Isn't that normally what we do? We let fear of the unknown or the fear of messing up stop us. Don't let that happen to you today. Be devoted in prayer. Be devoted in prayer of one accord, which means that you have to let people into your life who know the mess, who are willing to pray alongside of you devotedly, and then you have to come and meet together and talk about what you guys are both hearing from the Lord. So you got to let people into your mess. You got to let people into your life. You cannot do this on a solo route. The church was not designed to be just me and coffee and Jesus. It was designed to be done in unity, to be done in community. And so when you are in one accord with other people praying about big decisions in your life, that's not the best way. It's the only way to do it. And then you've got to do your due diligence. Then you've got to pray again. And then you've got to go. You've got to go. Don't let the fear of the unknown hold you up. Don't let the planning and the gathering of information stop you. Be, do due diligence, be devoted in prayer, and then go. Don't you know that your uh, your heavenly father delights in you and he desires to guide your life? He desires to tell you what it is he wants you to do. The hard truth for us today is that the only way to grow your faith is to actually use your faith, which means you have to step out into the unknown You have to be faced with situations that call you to use your faith. So if every decision that you are making in your life right now feels easy and comfortable, I think that's a red flag. I'd be concerned. God wants to grow your faith. You don't grow your faith through easy, comfortable decisions, hard decisions things that don't feel right, that feel, don't feel comfortable, that, that push you beyond your limits. That's how you grow your faith. So I wanna, we're gonna sing one more song, but I wanna give you a time to start the process now. So if you feel like you're about to make a, if you have a big decision or some kind of choice that's looming over your life, that's looming over your head and your heart right now, that's weighing you down, that's just, just bothering you, Why not today come down to the altar and start to be devoted in prayer to it? To take it to the Lord and just start seeking his face, to start seeking his presence, to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. To say, you know what, God, I don't want to be part of the Rotary Club. I want to be in your club. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to move in me. But if you don't, if you don't have a big decision facing you, if you don't have something that's just massive that's looming over your head, we as a body do. We have a big decision to make. We got something big coming up in our life, in the life of the church. So maybe we should take some time this morning to be of one accord and to come down and pray for who it is that's gonna lead us next. Who's gonna take the helm, not by rolling the dice, but who's who's gonna lead us next? That's a big decision. And I think that we've gotta take it very, very seriously. And I think that us being devoted in prayer of one accord is the only way to take it seriously. So my, my, my invitation to you this morning is if this is something that you're struggling with, if you're a decision at church or a decision in your own personal life, would you come this morning and pray? Maybe you need to grab somebody to pray with you so that you guys can be devoted together in prayer about an issue in your life. But I think it's time that we open up the floor For the Spirit to move, we make room for God and we allow Him to work. The altar is open for you. Let's sing together.
1: I fall apart. You're the one who guides my heart. song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when i cannot stand i'll fall on you jesus you're my hope and stay